I want to pray for the uh, sermon, but I also want to pray for other needs because God has given us uh, God has given us authority in the spiritual realm through the power of prayer to change the world. Do you know that? And so this is a time where we together, because there's a power in unity, we together agree to cash in kingdom chips to see the kingdom of God going forward. So if you would, grab the hand of the person next to you. If they don't have a hand, just put your uh, hand on their shoulder. And we can cross aisles. Go ahead and cross aisles. And just join me in prayer here. Just agree in your mind and agree in your heart with what I'm saying. And we're just believing that God will use this to further, to, as I said last service, to kingdomize his people, all right, and kingdomize the world. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for giving us the wonderful opportunity to be participants in the kingdom of God. You've, you've saved us from the realm of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, and you've washed us clean and forgiven our sins, and then empowered us to be your co-workers in the kingdom, and we thank you for it, God. It is a joy uh, to be used by you to further the kingdom. And one of the areas that you've given us uh, to further the kingdom is through the power of prayer. And we, by faith, right now, exercise that in Jesus' name. We pray for the person on our right whose hand we're holding. Lord, we just pray blessing on them, Lord. In every way, shape, and form, bless them, Lord God. Let right now your kingdom love shower on them and your kingdom wholeness shower on them, Lord God. We pray for their mind and their soul and their body, Lord, that you bring wholeness in every way. Whatever needs to be healed, we pray that the healing power would come forth right now in Jesus' name. And we pray for all their relationships, Lord God, with their friends and with their neighbors. And if they're married, we pray for their marriage. And if they're parents, we pray for their relationship with their children. Let your kingdom wholeness in every way, shape, and form descend upon them right here and right now in Jesus' name. And may they, Lord, this morning come to know who you really are and who they really are because of who you really are more thoroughly than they ever have before. Use the word this morning to uh, change their life, we pray in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, we pray for the person on our left. Lord, we just pray outrageous blessing on them, Lord. We pray that you'd shower your love and your power on them in every way, shape, and form. We pray wholeness to their mind. We pray wholeness to their inner spirit. And we pray wholeness to their body, Lord God. Bring kingdom wholeness and healing uh, to every area of their life. And Lord, we pray for all of their relationships, their friendships, Lord God. Lord, let your kingdom peace characterize those friendships, Lord. We pray, Lord, if, if they are married, we pray for their marriage, Lord God. Protect them from the evil one who's always seeking to tear apart husbands and wives, Lord God. And bring forgiveness and reconciliation and outrageous Christ-like love where that is needed, Lord, in Jesus' name. And if they're parents, we pray for their children, Lord God. Bless those little ones and use these parents as, as a means of blessing them, Lord God. And for the children that are over in, in, in the uh, children's church right now, we pray blessing on them and bless the workers, Lord God. Just let your kingdom come in Jesus' name. And for our youth, we pray for, in Jesus' name that your fire would fall on them to raise up an army that would reach the youth uh, of our culture this day, Lord God. And for this person on our left, Lord, we just pray that you'd open up their minds and open up their hearts to receive the word that's going forth here, that they may leave here more thoroughly kingdomized than they were when they came, Lord God. Let it be done. Unite us together in the vision that you've given us to do great things for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. All right. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke. Luke, 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 book of Luke, 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 book of Luke, Luke, Luke. Now, I had every intention, every intention of, uh, of moving forward. But as you know, his ways are not our ways. 
Uh, and I just felt uh, led by God. I felt like he was saying, you know what? There are a few who didn't get it last week, and we're not in a hurry. So let's take another pass at these passages. Uh, we're reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And I want to entitle this message, Fear Not, It's Good News. It's good news. Everybody say good. Good, good means it's not bad. All right? This is good news. Fear not, it's good news. Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It was bright, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, or in the classic King James language, fear not. Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. One of the ways you know that you got the good news is it brings great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We're talking Yahweh here. This will be a sign to you. You're going to find him wrapped up in baby clothes. He's going to be laying in a feeding trough, which means go look in the stable. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, which he just told us was all people. When the angels had left them and gone back into heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let's check it out. So they went to Bethlehem to see the things that had happened, which the Lord told them about. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the reading of the Word of God this morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So last week we uh, talked about Christmas. Uh, since uh, they were keeping their flock at night, it tells us it was the middle of the summertime because only they did that in the summertime when it was really hot, which tells us Christmas ought to be in the summertime, and Christmas is actually sort of a pagan holiday, uh, but we can celebrate it anyways uh, because God is bigger than pagan holidays, but if you don't want to celebrate, that's okay too. And then we also talked about, as you will recall if you were here last week, that um, uh, this passage brings out a, a, the, the stark contrast between civic religion, sort of the civic thing, the cultural thing, and the kingdom of God. And how the kingdom of God really uh, undermines and transforms the civic religion. I want to bring out a couple of other related uh, points from this passage. The first thing I want us to see is the response of the shepherds. They were terrified. Just terrified. The word that's used here comes from the combination of two words, mega and phobeomai. The word phobeomai is the verbal form of phobos, which means fear. We get the word phobia from it. So literally, they had a megaphobia, a great phobia. They were terrified. That's a good translation from it. Now, this is different from the kind of fear I talked about uh, several months ago, which was several verses ago, actually, um, where uh, th there's, a, there's a, an appropriate sense of awe and wonder. The, the Greek word phobos um, can be, in the right context, translated wonder or awe. And see, while we're supposed to be awestruck by God and revere God, that's the right form of, uh, of, of fear, we're not supposed to be terrified of God as these shepherds were. And that's why the angel says, don't fear. 
Don't, don't, uh, don't be terrified. In uh, chapter 1, verse 65, we saw several months ago that the neighbors, when they had heard and seen what happened with Mary and Elizabeth, they were filled with awe. That's, that's a good reverent fear. Uh, Phobos. But here, these shepherds are terrified, and that's not the appropriate kind of fear. We're, we're supposed to reverence God's holiness. We're not supposed to be terrorized. The difference is this. When you see God's holiness and his greatness and his splendor and his awe and his magnificence, if you're seeing appropriately, there, there ought to be reverent awe, but you want to move towards it. It's beautiful. Whereas if you're terrified from, about something or of something, you want to run away. When you're terrorized, your amygdala sends out a chemical cocktail through your body and says, run for your life. That's not the kind of relationship we're supposed to have with God. Now, th there has been in humanity since the Great Rebellion, eons ago with Adam and Eve, there's been, as a part of humanity, a tendency to be terrorized by God. To be terrorized. It really goes back to uh, the beginning of the rebellion, which sort of tells us the structure of the rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. Here we see that the serpent lied to Adam and Eve about who God was. And all sin starts with a false picture of God. Uh, he, he paints a picture of God that is untrustworthy. Uh, Eve can't depend on God, the serpent suggests, for her, for her source of life. And so Eve reaches out in an act of rebellion uh, to get life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we've been strapped with that sort of thing ever since. Now Adam and Eve up to this point had been walking with God in the cool of the day. They had great fellowship with God in this sort of paradise. But now, because of their, their deceptive picture of God, they, they grew terrified of God. And so they heard the sound, of God, the, the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, but now instead of moving towards him in reverent love, they hide from him. And then God says, why are you hiding? And, and Adam says this. He answered, I heard you in the garden. And whereas I, they used to be good news for me, and I used to run towards you, now I was terrified because I knew that I was naked. I had shame, and that's why I hid. When you are terrorized, you can't move towards that which terrorizes you. And given the false picture of God, Adam and Eve knew God's power. They, 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 they understood God's power, but they no longer trusted God's character. And when you are aware of God's power, but don't trust his character, it terrifies you and you want to hide. And we human beings have had a tendency in that direction since the time of the Great Rebellion. It's often called the fall, but see, I don't like to call it the fall because fall is what happens to you by accident. This wasn't by accident. This was an act of rebellion. It was the Great Rebellion. We have a tendency to be terrorized by God. And you can't passionately love and be in a life-affirming, celebrating relationship with one who terrorizes you. But we have that inclination. I remember, uh, as many of you know, I was raised in a, in a rather strict but fairly dysfunctional Catholic home. And when my family blew apart through a divorce when I was 12, I stopped going to church and gave up on religion and all of that. And so I had five years where I was really kind of sowing my wild oats, and I considered myself to be an atheist and got involved in a lot, of, a lot of nasty things, like drugs. Well, one night I was walking home from this party, and uh, I was higher than a kite. And I looked up at the stars, and I just beheld the glory of the stars and, and how just wonderful they were. But all of a sudden I thought I saw, sort of like, the Wizard of Oz face start to be configured in the stars. Uh, and, and I was terrified. And all of a sudden, the thought occurred to me that if there is a God, which I don't believe there is, 
I, I, I didn't believe there was. <laughs> I, I do now, okay? I just want to... But see, at the, at the time, I, I didn't believe there was a God, but I thought, if there is a God, and he has the power to create this awesome universe, what if, and this is my thinking here, what if he has got a malevolent streak in him? What if he's, he's partly evil? What if he's sadistic? And the thought of, I was just aware of how much we are at the mercy of this cosmic being if he exists. And actually, my disbelief at this stage, and I think this is true of a lot of people who don't believe in God, it's a way of hiding. It's a way of saying it just terrifies me to think that God is there. And that's not the, the, the biblical uh, sense of having a reverent awe. This is about having this, this worry, this legacy of the rebellion that God doesn't have a trustworthy character. When you become aware of God's par- character, but you don't trust his power, it builds terror in you. Last year, uh, Paul Eddy. Paul Eddy is a good friend of mine. He's one of our overseers, uh, one of my best friends. We hang out a lot together. We write books together, and we go to academic conferences together to discuss deep theological topics. And one night, you know, we always room together, and, and the thing about Paul is he's got a kind of a morbid streak in him. In fact, I think he's rather sick, but that's a different uh, issue. And uh, he, he one night decided to indulge his sort of tormented uh, sickness, and he was just having fun with me. But... Uh, he, you know, we were talking about Islam and, and fatalism because Islam is, at least most manifestations of Islam, it's a, it's a fatalistic religion. It believes that Allah just predestines everything. And, and right and wrong is defined by Allah's will. If Allah wills it, it is right no matter how wrong it seems. And so Allah here wills all the evil in the world and Allah wills people to go to hell uh, eternally and, and all of that. But you have to say it's right because Allah is the one who holds the cosmic gun and you don't want to disagree with the person who holds the cosmic gun. So we were talking about fatalism, and there's actually some Christians who believe that as well, that God just predestines all the evil and predestines people to go to hell, but he does it for his glory, and you better say that it's good and lovely and beautiful, otherwise you might be one of the ones that end up in hell. So we were talking, and Paul says, you know, dude, what if that was true? And I was like, get out of here. I mean, come on, you know the Bible, you know God revealed in Jesus Christ, and I know he's just jerking me around. I said, you know that it's not true. He says, yeah, but see, it just occurs to me, if it is true, then... Your thinking it's not true is part of the predestination. Uh, you were fated to think it wasn't true, and maybe God is just, you know, kind of jerking your own because he wants to jerk your own because he's got all the power. He can do that if he wants. So maybe everything you think is true is actually false, and maybe everything you think is false is actually true, and maybe what, everything you think is good is really evil, and maybe everything you think is evil is really good, and, and the whole thing's predestined because God wants to get off on, on just torturing you throughout eternity. That could happen. He could do that if he wanted, you know. I said, you need to get more sleep or see a therapist or something. <laughs> but he had a point there. You see, if, if you call into, unless you trust the character of God, the power can terrorize you because God can do whatever he wants. He's got the power to do that. Now see, if there's any part of your being that doesn't trust the character of God, that will to that degree pollute your relationship with God. If... Uh, you believe that God is just this mega power without character. Your relationship to God will take on some of the ambiance of an abused little girl living under an abusive father. An abused child will, if the father's kind of arbitrary and just does whatever he wants, but then he insists that what he's doing is good, the, the little kid will say, will say and do whatever she needs to say and do in order to keep from getting hit. But she can't really believe it. So you want me to say that what you're doing is good, you're beating the dog, and, and you're saying you're really loving the dog? Well, then I'll say yes if you ask me because I don't want to be beaten like the dog. 
and I'll say you're the most lovely dad in the world because I'm terrorized here and I don't want to get hit. And so also, some people have a terrorized relationship with God where they're just at, they're in a survival mode, like an abused kid saying, just tell me what I need to do, tell me what I need to say, tell me what I need to believe, and I'll say it, and I'll do it, and I'll believe it. But see, there's no life in that relationship. There's no love, real, genuine love in that relationship. It's an external relationship that is there for survival purposes. It's there to keep you from getting pounded. And we've had a tendency in that direction since the rebellion. So it's not really surprising that when God shows up, the shepherds are terrorized. They're just terrorized. The glory of God shines. shines. And see, if you know who God is, you go, ha, ah, it's beautiful. It's awesome. I revere this God. That would be the appropriate relationship. But because of we're part of this rebellious race, there's a part of us that wants to go, run away! They're terrorized. God shows up, and one of these guys is thinking, why did I steal that sheep yesterday? And the other one's thinking, oh, I just had a lustful thought. And the other one's saying, gosh, I, I haven't been tithing, or whatever. And, and there's always a reason to get damned, you know. And so when the glory of God shows up, there's that tendency to be terrorized. And that's why the angel says, don't be terrorized. Don't have your megaphobia of God, because I have got good news for you. I've got good news. And the good news brings great joy. Now listen to this. I got good news. Here's what you need to know about God. Trust me on this one. Here's his character. The Lord has become your Savior. Yes, God, the big God, who you otherwise would be terrorized uh, by, you need to know right here and now that he is using all that power to be your Savior. God, with all that power, is on your side. Yahweh is, is weighing in in your corner. He is your advocate. He wants to come under you. In fact, the angel says, here's the good news. You're going to find the Lord, Yahweh, lying in a little manger, born as an outcast in a stable. He has made himself as lowly as possible, as humble as possible. This God, with all of that magnificent power, has lowered himself to become a vulnerable baby to outcast parents born in a stable. That's the character of God, and that is good news. Amen. Amen. And this God is going to use all that magnificent power that spoke those stars into existence. This God, here's his character, this God is going to use all that power to, instead of crush sinners, to serve sinners, to attract sinners like prostitutes and tax collectors. And this God's going to use all that power to heal the sick and to heal the deaf and make the lame walk. He's going to use that power in your favor. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your lover. And this God's going to use all that magnificent, mind-boggling, unthinkable power to set the captives free, to free people from demonization and free them from lies because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And this God's going to use all that power. Amen. He's going to use all that power to finally go on the cross and let himself get crucified in an act of incredible self-sacrificial love. And this God's going to use all that power to conquer the devil, to set the devil's slaves free, to reconcile you to the Father, to wash you clean, to make you whole, to restore you to eternal life with him. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's his character. And that is good news. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news. Here's how you know good news is, is good. Because it's good. 
Honestly, there, there, there is a lot of variations of what's called good news out there, but when you listen to it, it's ugly news. It's, it's bad news. It's condemning news. It's religious news. Oh! And, and, but they call it good because the cosmic gun is to their head, and they're supposed to call it good. But here's the thing. You can always tell the true gospel from the false gospel, and the word gospel just means good news. You can always tell the true, the true gospel from the false gospel because the true gospel is good. The true gospel creates great joy. The true gospel makes you want to move towards it rather than away from it. The true gospel wants you to become unveiled rather than hiding. The true gospel causes great joy. It draws you in. You know good news from bad news because the good news is good. And this angel had good news, had good news for them. Uh, the Lord has this kind of a character. And then the angel adds something here. Look at this. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people, and that includes you. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A little bit redundant there, aren't we, little angel? <laughs> I bring you, to all people, to you. Now, now why does he do that? He, it would be enough to say, I bring good news, and a Savior is being born, and the Savior is for all people. But instead he says, to you. Well, he, he says, this is personal here. I'm bringing you, 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 we don't know how many shepherds there were, tradition has three, could have been 30, we don't know. But I'm bringing you guys, you, good news. Uh, he personalized it. Now, why does he do that? And here's why. Because shepherds could easily come to believe that there is good news, it's just not really going to do them any good. Um, shepherds, as I mentioned last week, they were pretty far down on the uh, social strata, uh, they were down on the totem pole of privilege. And it often happens in life, doesn't it, that if you're not up on the totem pole of privilege, there can be good news, but it never quite trickles down to where you are. Somebody say amen. amen. And, I, and, and so these shepherds could say, you know, I, I, yeah, we've heard good news before, but we never really benefit from it. I mentioned last week how the term good news was part of the civic religion centered on the, on, on the emperor. Uh, whenever Augustus did something good, the choirs would proclaim good news. When he had a military victory, they'd proclaim good news. When an emperor was born, they proclaimed good news. But that didn't make a bit of difference to these shepherds. Not a bit. Their life went on day after day, a hard life, working 18 hours a day probably, out in the hot sun, and nothing that happened in the stratosphere of the upper class really trickled down to them. And so they could have believed that, yeah, there's good news, but... For shepherds like us, well, we know what happens to good news. It never quite makes its way to us. And so the angel personalizes and says, no, 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 no. This is good news for you, really. This, is, this has got your name on it. This is, is really for you. And so it is with a lot of us. It's one thing to believe in good news. It's another thing to believe that the good news is for you. To really let that get on the inside. The good news is for you. Some of us have it in our mind, probably all of us to some degree, that the good news maybe is for other people, but it's not really for us. I have myself struggled with that some. I, it's a lot easier to me, for, for me to believe good news for somebody else than it is to believe it for myself. Uh, I've mentioned this probably too many times, but, but uh, you know, I, one time when I was a little kid, Grandma comes home with good news. She's got Christmas presents ahead of time for all the kids. But it turns out it's not quite good news for me because I'm a bad little boy, and bad little boys don't get presents. And so if you're in that kind of environment, it's easy for you to believe that, yeah, there's good news, but it just never makes its way to me. And so some of us have lived as the outsiders on good news, and it can take a lot of different sh shape, a lot of different forms. 
You can hear that there's good news. The economy is, is improving and wages are going up. Yeah, that's good news, but it's not going to benefit you a whole lot because you're working minimum wage and that is, uh, hasn't hardly gone up at all in like 17 years. So wonderful good news. It just doesn't apply to me. Or you hear that the good news, there's tax breaks. Unfortunately, it's not in your low tax bracket. And you hear that the housing industry is soaring. That's good news. Wonderful, but you're homeless and that's not going to really benefit you a whole lot. Or you hear that there's good news. They're cracking down on crime. Well, unfortunately, you're a criminal, so it's not really good news on you you know it's it's a you always can be on the outsider but see here's what here's what the, the here's what the angel is saying to you it's like okay look at maybe you've been on the outside of every other morsel of good news that's ever been told but you're not on the outside of this one this good news is for you yes you and don't let your brain brain, brain play this demonic if and but maybe sort of thing where you disqualify yourself the good news is for you it may be that 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 you have you were the one kid who never got asked out to go to the good news prom but god is asking you out and saying i want to court you and i want to marry you and i got good news for you amen amen it may be that, it, it could be that, that uh, you know, the good news has always passed you up. Uh, the job promotions have always passed you up, and the social gatherings have always passed you up, and you've always been a misfit in every kind of a, a membership there ever was, but God is saying you're not a misfit in the kingdom, or rather the kingdom is, is made for misfits, and you may not be a member of any great social club, but you're a member of the body of Christ. This good news doesn't pass you by. This good news is for you. It's for you. Yes, you. And don't let this, your brain play into this if, ands, buts, maybes. Oh, I'm the one person in this auditorium who's got this particular sin, or I'm the one person in this auditorium who's done this or that thing in the past. No, it's for you. It's personal. This package has got your name on it. Maybe you never got a Christmas present in your life, but you got a Christmas present right here. That's the best Christmas present you could ever hope for. The good news is for you. Here's what the good news says about you. Hear this with your name on it. You ravish the heart of God. I didn't make that up. That's in the Song of Songs. You are one over whom the Lord rejoices. You, yes, you are one over whom the Lord sings. You are one over whom the Lord claps his hands. Zephaniah 3.17, it's got your name on it. You are one. You are the one that God throws the party for. You are declared righteous. You are declared holy. You are declared free from condemnation. You are declared absolutely free from, from any kind of sin. You are the temple of God. You, yes, you are the member of the body of Christ. You, yes, you are, the, are filled with the fullness of God. And you, yes, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You've been bought with an infinite price. It's got your name on it. You have unsurpassable worth. You have been entirely forgiven. You've inherited an eternally infinite rich inheritance. You are inseparable from the love of God. You, yes, you, God will never leave or forsake you. It's got your name on it. It's not just for the person to your right or the person to your left. It's got your name on it. This isn't just for the holy, it's especially for the unholy. This isn't just for the righteous, this is especially for the unrighteous. This certainly isn't just for the religious, it's especially for the irreligious, and that means that we're all part of it. Amen. Can you internalize that? Can you, can you picture Jesus right here coming to you and saying, Carla, uh, that all applies to you. I, this present, I got good news for you, Carl. Jesus says, I love you with an everlasting love. I've filled you with my spirit. I've made you my radiant bride. And John, yeah, you, don't disqualify yourself from this because my truth is better than, bigger than all the lies in your head. And I want you to know that, that you are my son. You are my child. You are a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. And I've, I've showered you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And you, Betty, and you, uh, Kent, and you, uh, Josephat, or whatever your name is, Hear your name. Picture Jesus and hear your name. 
He first says your name because it's always personalized. This isn't general good news. This is personal. This has got your, this is tailor-made for you. I was uh, in YWAM this last week down in Denver, and I was preaching this message or uh, teaching a class, and once in a while it happens that I get a little excited about this message. I don't know. It's just, because see, you know what? When it gets in, it really, it just does something explosive. And as I was talking this way, uh, this girl in the middle of the class began to cry. And I said, what is it? And I kind of knew probably what it was going to be. And she just said, you know what? I want so badly to believe that, but I just, it, it's too good to be true. It just sounds too good to be true. This can't be true. I said, well, you believe the Bible, right? And it's here in the Bible, right? Said, I know, I know, I know it is true, but it's too good to be true. And I told her this. I said, you know, that's one of the best ways to know that you're actually thinking along the lines of truth. When your brain is telling you it's too good to be true, that's one indication that you're going along the right track. Because it means that you, the neurons in your head that tell you otherwise are starting to rebel. And now it's just a matter of tearing down those strongholds and taking every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Go ahead and let it rebel, but don't stop believing it because there's parts of your brain that says, oh, if, ands, but, but you don't know, but I got this, but I'm doing this, but I'm struggling with this and my past or whatever. No, no just, just let God be true in every man a liar. Let God be true in every thought a liar. Trust God's word more than you trust your own brain because your brain's all screwed up. Uh, but the way to get it unscrewed up is to let the Word of God saturate it. Let the truth just saturate it there and internalize it. Now, when you really start to internalize this, and this brings me to the final point I want to bring out of this passage. When you start to internalize it, something happens. Look what happened here. It says that uh, when they had seen the child, they spread the Word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God. You glorify God when you just shout out loud the glory of God, when you just put, on, put God on display, when you brag on God, and you praise God when you, of course, praise God. So they're glorifying God and they're praising God. And here again, we have this sort of redundancy in this passage, this emphasis. What Luke is telling us here is this. These guys could not shut up about it. They got the good news, and boom, they, they went and they saw it. It turns out it was true, and then they spread the word. Uh, they, they, everyone they came in contact with, they told. And even when they were going back to their sheep, they said they're proclaiming the glory of God and praising God. They could not shut up. And see, that's what happens when the good news of great joy begins to get into your inner being. It's called, the technical word is evangelism. Evangelism. Evangelism literally means, uh, to, the word evangel is the word for good news. And so evangelism is spreading the good news. And the way it happens in Scripture is that you get it on the inside and it just sort of percolates out of you. Now, a lot of us have got some, some uh, little bit weird ideas about evangelism. If you come from strongly religious backgrounds, uh, maybe all of a sudden you got nervous. Somebody in this auditorium all of a sudden says, oh no, now he's going to give us the three tips on how to, how to get our neighbor saved or whatever. Because we associate evangelism with this kind of ought, should, got to do, better do sort of a thing. And it's about awkward conversations and, and it, you know, you kind of are supposed to do it and it's like... You know, but it's weird, and, and you know, like, are you, are you born again? Uh, you know, you, want, you don't want to know about what it is to be born again, do you? Or something like that. I, when I first was a Christian, I went around door to door. I knocked on doors. I hated every second of it. I, 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 but I felt like I got to do it. Uh, you know, God, and my heart was in the right place. I'm sure I got points for that. <laughs> but, uh, just kidding. But, uh, you know, it wasn't motivated by this inner joy. 
In the Bible, see, it's not this unnatural, weird thing. It comes out of you naturally because it's on the inside of you. You got the good news, and so you just sort of radiate the good news in your life, in your thoughts, and with your words. We are all called to be evangelists in one way or another. Now, we're not going to turn that into a shame thing. Like, you know, I was in one meeting where the person in front of everybody just said, how many people have you won to the Lord this year? How many people have you won to the Lord? Have you saved anyone lately? And, and, uh, and then some people lie. Yeah, I've said seven. I've brought seven. <laughs> but you see, you don't need, if the good news is on the inside, you don't need these kind of shame manipulative things. It's supposed to be a life thing, a natural thing. A classic example of this, one of my favorite examples is in John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, which is already wild because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and you're not supposed to have any contact. But Jesus, like Martin Luther King, just tore down the racial walls and confronted the oppressive powers of racism, and he enters enters into this loving conversation with this woman. But on top of that, he's a holy rabbi and she's got a, she's a woman of, uh, with a savory reputation. It's an amazing conversation. And then in John chapter 4, as they're talking, Jesus uh, offers her water, living water. Uh, and if she drinks of this water, she'll never thirst again. He's offering her eternal life. And then Jesus makes it known to her that he knows, he just kind of slips it in, that he knows everything about her. Among which is the fact that she's been married five different times and is now living with a guy who's not her husband. And Jesus doesn't build on that or shame her with it. He, he, he makes her know that for two reasons. Number one, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. And number two, he's saying, I know everything about you, and the offer still stands. You see, I, 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 this, this offer, this good news, is in condition. Now, the, the passage says that the lady dropped the jars that she had gone out there with uh, to get water. She dropped her jars, ran back to town, and she proclaims to everybody, I met a man who knows everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? Now, here's the thing. That town would know everything about her, at least some of the stuff about her, and here she is telling them that like it's good news. He knows everything about me, and this is good news. He could be the Messiah. And then the town runs out to meet Jesus. You see, when you hear the good news, you know the good news because it's good and it's attractive. People move towards it. If we're proclaiming the good news right, it ought to be the case that even if a person decides they don't believe it, they ought to wish it was true. Because, see, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good news. So the people come out. Uh, they're, they're attracted to this. Uh, could this be the Messiah? Now, I guarantee you, if this lady had talked to a Pharisee, first of all, the Pharisee would never talk to the likes of her. I guarantee it. But if there had been a conversation, and if this Pharisee had turned out to be the Messiah and knew everything about her, it would not have been good news for this lady. Uh, it it would have been shaming news. It would have been condemning news. It would have been harsh news. And this lady, when she ran back to town, she wouldn't be proclaiming good news. She'd be saying, hey, I just found out that God is the Pharisee and run for your life. You know, he knows everything about us. We're in big trouble. (laughs) But see, when you have a true picture of God and you find out he knows everything about you, it's actually good news because he is the Savior who comes not to crush, but to come under you and restore you. Evangelism happens when we really get it, when we really get it on the inside. That is good news. When people are excited, it comes out of them in different ways. A little while ago, I was on a plane with a guy. I, you know, I sat down next to him, and I met him, and he met me. Within 30 seconds, he showed me his baby picture. That's this big, huge baby. I was like, oh, your poor wife. Uh, the little Buddha. <laughs> you know, but he was, so, he was just so proud. He's, he's got a baby, and here's a total stranger. Sit down. It's like, oh, you haven't seen my kid yet, have you? Well, let me show you. 
Actually, I haven't. I was just waiting to. <laughs> See, that's how it is when, when, when it's on the inside. It comes out of you. The most important thing you can do to be an evangelist, and we're all called to be evangelists, to spread the good news, because God wants everybody to hear about Jesus. But, the, the, but that shouldn't be a weird, awkward thing. The most important thing to do to become an evangelist is to really get it on the inside. To spend time where you just enjoy the Lord and the Lord enjoys you. And you, as Heather was saying earlier, you walk in this truth and you speak the truth. You spend time just picturing Jesus tell you the truth about who you are. We've got handouts on the, on the visitor's table about your identity in Christ. Take those things, memorize it. And this, and this hear Jesus tell you what he's already told you in the word, but it's got your name attached to it because that is just so powerful. And as that gets exciting on the inside, it comes out. The second thing that's necessary to be an evangelist is you just walk in love. You walk in love. Walk in love. Love people. As Martin Luther King said, just love people. Love your enemies. Love your friends. Walk just blessing people, uh, agreeing with God that every person you see has infinite worth. And as you walk with that mindset, you, as you have the good news and you see people who possibly don't have the good news, a party wants to share it. But it's not this forced thing. An opportunity arises where maybe they say, will you tell me why you care about me? You keep on you know, doing nice things. Why do you do that? Boom. You just share yeah, not a chick track or something like that. No, you just, just share what's really on, on, on your heart. Why is it that you seem to have a good disposition no matter what happens? Well, you, I, I got some good news a while back, and it's just changed my life. Uh, you know, do you know what God thinks about you? He's passionately in love with you. And you just naturally share the good news. We share the good news with every Christ-like thing we do. Some are called to sow. Others are called to reap. But we spread the good news by what we do, by what we think, by how we pray, but also by what we say. Be an evangelist and spread the good news. It really is good news. And it's a wonderful opportunity that we have to be used by God to really impact people's lives, to bring them in on this party that God calls the kingdom of God. Close your eyes for a moment. I, I just want to say this prayer. Uh, you know what? I want to take 30 seconds to do this. Is there anybody here who has never said yes to the good news or isn't now saying yes to the good news, even if you did before. And by that I mean, are you right here a surrendered person? Is your life surrendered to him? That's the one thing that needs to happen for you to be a benefactor of this good news. And if you would like to surrender your life right now, would you just raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you from up here. Over, over to my left, there's a number of people in the middle there. Just raise your hand and you're saying, God, I surrender my life. This isn't going to be about a magical formula, a fire insurance kind of thing, whatever. This is about surrendering your life. Anybody else? I see a couple of hands in the back over there. Wonderful. Praise God. Holy Spirit, the rest of you guys be praying. If you're already a kingdom person, a hand over there. Just be praying that God would open up these hearts, open up these lives. Wonderful. Amen. Over there, I see the hand. Okay, and, and even if I don't see it, God sees it. And you're doing this before God. Okay, amen. Praise God. Holy Spirit, keep on working. You're saying, I surrender my life. He's Lord, and now you're going to live for him. We're going to pray this prayer. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. There's an importance in saying it. So pray this prayer out loud. This is like a wedding vow. You're committing your life. Don't do this unless you're ready to commit your life. doesn't mean you're going to walk perfect from henceforth, but it means your heart's desire is to receive this good news and be transformed by it. So let's all pray this prayer together. Those of you uh, who are praying it for the first time, just pray along with us. It's a community thing. You say, Heavenly Father... You are Lord and God. But I haven't lived like that. I repent. I'm going to change my ways. 
and I acknowledge that you are Lord, and you are my God. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness, but I thank you, Lord, that you gave me good news. And so I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me, wash me, live in me, and help me live for you the rest of my life, starting right now. Amen. Amen. Praise God.